Welcome to a New Testament journey. We'll have our Bible reading followed by our devotional. Chapter 2 We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who, all their lives, were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This passage is more tightly packed than a flamenco dancer's trousers, and it could therefore dazzle us so much that we end up just staring dully at it. Let's not do that. Everything in this passage flows from a single premise, that Jesus has brought us the greatest possible salvation. 
As a word, salvation is bashed around like a squash ball on a court. It's easy for us to say Jesus has saved us without really thinking about what we mean by saved. Let's catch this word salvation and have a good look at it. Hebrews tells us that salvation occurred when Jesus suffered at the hands of men and died. And his death brought us four clear wins. One, Jesus died to make us holy. Two, Jesus died to call us brothers. Three, Jesus died to destroy the devil. And four, Jesus died to free us from from our fear of death. Each of these four facets of faith is a fountain for flourishing. Are you feeling the flow of them? Let's try to do so. Jesus died to make us holy. Now, by holy, we should understand whole, restored to wholeness, humming with the harmony of the spirit of life. Jesus has actually made this possible for us. That is how great his salvation is. Jesus also calls us brothers. A brother is a bosom fellow. A sister, if you like, is a collaborative adventurer. A sister is a co-inheritor. To have a truly great human look at me and call me brother would probably make me weak at the knees. To be called a brother by the heir of all things is literally too big for my brain to easily digest. I must make an appointment to consider that truth some more. The passage goes on to say that Jesus' salvation put a death wound on the devil. Is that perhaps the greatest of all of his achievements? Satan is the horrific and horrendous power that makes life horrible. If Jesus' salvation really does destroy the devil, that would mean no more opposition in life, no more evil, no more suffering, no more aches and pains. I must admit I find it hard to really conceive of what life would be like without those things. And then the fourth one, no more fear of death. Jesus' salvation removes the fear of death. Now, philosophers have based entire treaties on the universal fear of death. They've said the fear of death is the single greatest influence on all of humanity everywhere. But they didn't factor in Jesus. Jesus' salvation is so great that it removes the dark shadow of fear that haunts even the smartest of people. There is a place just to marvel at Jesus, to applaud his stunning moves, to gasp at his generosity. But Hebrews tells us about this salvation, not just so we watch Jesus and clap, but so that we seek to understand him and to think on his work, the wonder of the salvation that he achieved in the cross. Because when we understand what Jesus has done for us, then we can actually step down from the seats and become his dance partner. We can begin to entrust ourselves to him as the divine dancer of our deliverance and delight. So here's a question for reflection. What aspect of Jesus's salvation is most amazing to you? We pray God's word bears fruit in your life. For all the information about the New Testament journey, head to www.anewtestamentjourney.net.